Take your Bibles and turn to Romans 8 again. Romans 8, 26 and 27. Thank you, David. That was a surprise to me. (laughs) Appreciate that. Romans 8, verses 26 and 27. This is the passage we looked at last week. It's a passage where Paul is talking about prayer and our weakness in prayer and yet God's strength and help and assistance in prayer, if you will. Here's what he says, verses 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what, the mind, uh, what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to will of God. A lot of people make comments this week. A lot of people talk about that sermon, ask me questions about it, which were very good. And, but one of the things that I got an email this week, and I, I, in the email, the, this particular individual, I won't identify gender or or anything or age or anything like that, but this person uh, who sent me the email said, basically, and I'm paraphrasing here, it's it's just a great comfort to know that we can't mess up our prayers. There's a lot of comfort in that, that the Holy Spirit intercedes on behalf of believers to pray what we ought to be praying in the Spirit And according to the will of God, even when we are struggling in times of hurting, even when we're struggling in times of pain, even when we're struggling in times of just just doubt and wonderment, the, the Spirit of God intercedes and works on our behalf. And that is a great source of comfort. But I want you to be sure and understand something else. When the Apostle Paul says that when we don't know how to pray, the Spirit intercedes on our behalf. When we don't know how to pray, the Spirit groans in our place and groans and knows our spirit, knows the Spirit of God, knows the will of God. and prays. When the Holy Spirit is there, Paul is saying that's an absolute reality. Paul is not saying, so it doesn't matter where you pray or not. The Holy Spirit's just doing all that, you know, all the time anyway, so it doesn't matter whether you're praying or not. That's not what Paul is saying. As a matter of fact, the Scripture is very clear that we ought to pray. The Scripture is very clear that God has called us to pray. Jesus said, I I urge you to pray in this manner. And we talked about it last week a little bit from from the Lord's Prayer or the model prayer that he gave us in Matthew, that, that, that we are to be people of prayer. Paul, in his epistles, called us to prayer over and over and over again even to the point of giving us prayers how he prayed for the church and how he prayed for other believers that we might find ourselves knowing how we ought to pray. Now, sometimes when we are praying in those ways and praying for those things and before God on our faces, absolutely stunningly not knowing what to say, Paul says, but in that moment when you're pursuing prayer, God will help you pray what you need to pray. The Holy Spirit will help you pray what you need to pray. That is a great comfort. But it happens in conjunction with our praying. Okay? It happens in, our, in conjunction with our 
pursuing the face of God, pursuing the presence of God, and desiring Him above everything else. I, that song that, uh, that David just sang, you know, give me Jesus. You can have the world, you can have all the pleasures, you can have everything, all the riches, everything. As long as I know I've got Jesus, that's where my life is, and that's where I want my life to be, and that's what my greatest need is. That's an absolute truth according to the Word of God. There are a lot of things I want to say about prayer. And, and all of them are built on this idea that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us and the Holy Spirit searches our hearts and the Holy Spirit intercedes for us saints according to the will of God in every way. But I don't want us to miss the fact that we are to be a praying people. We are to be pursuing Him. John Bunyan, the, the great writer of Pilgrim's Progress, which a portion of our congregation are are working through right now on, on Sunday evenings in our grace equipping classes with Pastor Michael. John Bunyan, years ago, several hundred years ago, wrote a de- what he thought was a definition of true prayer. I like his definition. I want to look at it biblically and break it down just a little bit. Bunyan said this, Prayer is a sincere, sensible affectionate pouring out of the heart or soul to God through Christ in the strength and the assistance of the Holy Spirit for such things as God has promised according to his word for the good of the church with submission in faith to the will of God. I like that definition. I like how Bunyan just lays out this idea. Every phrase in that prayer, every phrase in that definition of prayer is biblically based. Every phrase in that definition of prayer has its root in God's Word and and something that we need to understand as we talk about prayer, as we think about prayer. There are really seven things that I want you to think about this morning that Bunyan said and then look at Scripture to go with it. First of all, I want you to see that Bunyan says prayer is a sincere and that's an important word, a sincere outpouring of the soul to God. It's a sincere outpouring of the soul to God. I I love the passage that Pastor Michael read this morning for the hearing of the word out of Nehemiah chapter 1. That's why I chose that for him to read this morning, uh, even with all its hard words to pronounce in there. But, but it, has, it, it shows Nehemiah when he's heard that the, the, the city of Jerusalem, the, the walls have been broken down, and those walls were more than just a physical barrier. Those walls were, were representative of God's care and God's protection of the city. And when he heard that the walls had been torn down, and he heard that the, the remnant that was still there were scattered and kind of without purpose and without a cause, they, they didn't know what to do because the barbarians had come in and overrun the city. Nehemiah, when he heard what was happening in Jerusalem, it says, I immediately begin to weep and call out to God. I immediately begin to weep and fast and call out to God. I didn't, first of all, decide I'm going to go down there and fight the barbarians. But I did the first thing, the most natural thing for a believer to do. And that is he fell on his face before God and he wept and he called out to God. Uh, Proverbs 15:8 says, The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. God delights when his people come before him and sincerely pour out their hearts or their souls to him. 
when his people come before him and they open up to him. And many times, as, as Paul talks about in Romans chapter 8, many times not knowing exactly what to say, but say, oh Lord, I am here in your presence. I am seeking you above everything else. The, the world can do what the world's going to do, but I want to know you. I want to walk with you. I want to be in you. Bunyan says prayer is a sincere pouring out of the soul or the heart to God. Could ask the question, when is the last time you really sincerely and honestly and almost with a hopelessness just poured out your heart before God? Maybe over a friend or a relative who was living in total, complete sin. Maybe over a situation that you felt like was totally against the will and the purpose of God. Any number of things. When's the last time you just literally, sincerely poured out your heart and your soul to God? When you say that's the beginning of true prayer. Second thing he said is prayer is not only a sincere, but it's also a sensible pouring out of the soul before God. It's, it's, not, it's not gibberish. It's not asking fanciful things. It's not something that you make up in your own mind, but it's sensible. The psalmist said in Psalm 103, verses 1 through 4, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Sensible, thinking about what God has done who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and with compassion. Pouring out our souls sensibly as well as sincerely before God is saying, Lord, I'm hurting, I'm desiring, I want to see your purpose, but I know, Lord, you have promised. Again, Nehemiah. When he poured out his soul before God, he said, Lord, I know you do not forget your covenant people. I know you are a God of covenant who will fulfill your covenant promises. I know that you are doing what you are doing for the good of your people, even though we may not see it. And, and we may see the walls in Jerusalem in total disarray because you want your people to once again see what it means to live without your purpose, without your will and control. It might be that the walls are down so that your people will think again sensibly about you, about blessing you, about worshiping you, about coming to you and remembering your benefits, remembering your goodness, remembering your grace. Prayers and sincere and a sensible outpouring of the soul. Bunyan also says it's a sincere, sensible, and affectionate outpouring of the soul to God. An affectionate outpouring. The psalmist in 103 dealt with that. He, he's talking about the Lord who he loves and who loves him and who cares for him. And in Psalm 42, you remember that, we sing this all the time, where the psalmist writes, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. As a deer pants in a thirsty desert situation for water brooks that will quench his thirst, Lord, I love you, I desire you, I want you, 
more than anything else, my soul pants after you. My soul is thirsty for you. There's an affection that can only come from knowing him. And there's a thirst that can only be fulfilled in his presence. And there's a thirst that can only be fulfilled by pursuing him in a sincere and sensible and affectionate way. So Bunyan says, get it right at the beginning. Sincerely come before him. Sincerely pour out your soul to him. Sincerely cry out sensibly and affectionately before God. But the fourth thing he says is this. Prayer is a sensible, sincere, sensible, affectionate, pouring out of the heart or soul to God through Christ by the strength and assistance of the Spirit. It's through Christ. God hears prayers through Christ. It's important to understand. That's why Jesus said, when you pray, ask in my name. It doesn't mean you just always have to tack on at the end of every prayer, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. I mean, we do that most of the time. But, but praying in his name and praying through Christ is far more than just saying a few words at the end of a prayer. It's praying in the knowledge of I have union with Christ. I'm, I'm in fellowship with Christ. I'm in union with Christ. Christ is at work in my life because he is my Lord and I have committed myself to him by his grace and I'm walking with him. I am coming before God Almighty, the supreme God of the universe, and I'm coming through his son, Jesus Christ, my Lord and my God. I'm coming to him through Christ. And when we come through Christ, it's what Paul talked about in in Romans 8, and and it's really the the point here that, that Bunyan is making, he says that the Spirit intercedes. The Spirit gives us strength. The Spirit gives us assistance in our praying and in our prayers. But he doesn't do that unless we're sincerely, sensibly, and affectionately pouring our heart and soul out to him. He doesn't do that unless we're taking prayer seriously, I would say. Unless we see that as something that's a part of our life, an important part of our life, something that we literally cannot live without. It's like breathing. It's like spiritual breathing. We go before the Lord. We, we lay our, our, our soul bare before the Lord, and the Lord fills us with his spirit and sp- fills us with his presence in a glorious way. He assists us in all that he does. So prayer is a sincere and sensible and affectionate pouring out of the heart or soul to God through Christ in the strength and assistance of the Holy Spirit. Hear this part. For such things as God has promised according to his word. For such things as God has promised according to his word. God has not promised to fill your heart with prayer and and assist you in prayer if you're praying for something that is contrary to his truth, contrary to his word. 
I've shared with you many occasions through my 40-something years of ministry where people have come to me and they've said, Pastor, will you pray for me about this matter? And my answer has been to them, no, I will not pray for you about that matter. And they look at me and they say, well, you're my pastor, you have to pray for me. You know, that's your job, we pay you to pray for me, right? Well, that's a misnomer in and of itself. But when I say that to someone, no, I will not pray for that for you because they're asking something that is contrary to the revealed truth of the Word of God. You don't ask God to do something that He has already said He does not plan to do or does not approve of doing. You don't ask God not to do something that God has already promised that He's going to do. There's this idea that, that God's Word is what our prayers are to be based upon. That's why it's important, folks, to, to have your Bible open when you're praying. You know, prayer is not just dealing down and talking to God and telling God everything and kind of spewing it out on Him. There is that affectionate openness bowing before God and pouring out our soul to God. But there's also that hearing from Him. And you hear from Him in His Word. And it's according to the things that He has promised in His Word that we are to pray. In Psalm 119.25, the psalmist says, My soul cleaves to the dust. Revive me according to your Word. You won't be revived primarily by prayer. You won't be revived primarily by trying to get your life together. You will be revived and renewed in your prayer life and in your spiritual life by his word because that's what he said he would revive us by or, or psalm 119 49 when he sent the, the psalmist david simply cries out and says remember the word remember the word to your servant in which you have made me to hope i find my hope in your word i find my hope and my security in your word I don't find it in the word of the world. The world says all sorts of things. The world says white is black and black is white and right is wrong and wrong is right. The, the world says that, that everything God says is wrong today. We ought, to, we ought to get enlightened and we ought to be modernized and we ought to say, well, we're going to pray that God will do other things out here and give his blessings to it. And God in his word says, I'll never do that. I will never do that. I have revealed my truth to you. I have revealed my word to you. And it's your responsibility to submit to that word in prayer and in life, in your walk, in your worship. Prayer is a sincere, sensible, affectionate, pouring out of the heart or soul to God through Christ in the strength of the Holy Spirit, and assistance of the Holy Spirit for such things as God has promised according to His Word. There's some things you don't have to ask God about. There's some things He has been clear about. And our only, our only response is to submit to Him and say, Lord, as you have said, so I want to walk. So four, there's a sixth thing that Bunyan says about this idea of, of prayer, and, and it's all that I've said before, sincere, sensible affection pouring out of the heart and soul 
uh, to God through Christ and the strength and assistance of the Holy Spirit for things that he's promised in his word. And then Bunyan says, for the good of the church. For the good of the church. Wait a minute. I thought my prayers were for the good of me. I thought my prayers were so that I could get what I want and, and have that fulfilled in my life, and I can do what I want to do. Well, there's a sense in which when God's prayers are answered in your life because you're part of the church, then that is for the good of the church. But it's not just for you individually. It's for us corporately as a body. That, that's why Paul prayed so often, as I said earlier, in, in his epistles for the church. In Philippians 1, he said, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and the praise of God. Here's what I'm praying. I'm praying that your eyes will be open to see true knowledge, true discernment, true will of God, and that that's what you'll pursue as a church body and as individuals within that church. That was Philippians 1, 9 through 11. Or Ephesians 1, 16 through 21. Where Paul says, We do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what, he, what, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Paul says, man, I'm praying, praying for you, church. Sure, he was praying for the church at Philippi, he's praying for the church at Ephesus, but as a written, holy, inerrant, inspired word of God, He's praying for Grace Baptist Church also in those prayers. This is what we know. And by praying for Grace Baptist Church, these prayers, he's praying for each one of you, and he's praying for me, that we might pursue that which is righteous, that we might pursue that which he has ordained and purposed. And we might call it what it is, his will. You could, you could, I won't read it, but you could look at Colossians 1, 9 through 13. You get the same kind of prayer. You can go to John 17 that we kind of alluded to last week where Jesus prayed for his church and all those, are, all those agree with what Paul said. Then the seventh thing, the seventh point that Bunyan makes. I want you to hear this. He says it closes out for the good of the church with submission in faith to the will of God. Submission in faith to the will of God. 
Matthew 6.10, we talked about the model prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There'll be perfection in heaven. It'll be perfect love, it'll be perfect obedience, it'll be perfect righteousness, it'll be perfect holiness, it'll be, it'll be not only a, a breaking of the power of sin, not only a forgiveness from the penalty of sin, but there will be a rejoicing that there is no even presence of sin in heaven. And Jesus said, pray this. You may see it as a pipe dream. You may see it as something that is impossible. You may see it as a, a utopian situation. I don't know how you see it. But our Lord said, you pray this. You pray that God's will be done on this earth right now, just as it is in heaven. It's got to begin in your life. It's got to be your prayer for his, uh, for his will to be done in your life. John, in his first epistle, 1 John 5, 14 and 15, said this, This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. Based on praying in accordance with his will. How do you know his will? You know his will by being in his word. You know his will by seeing what he has said is true and right and, and perfect will of God. You know his, you know his will by by knowing what he said. Not by trying to make it up yourself. Not by trying to walk in a way that is disobedient to him. The prophets over and over told us that there will come a time when we will turn away from God's word. There will come a time when God's people will even God's people will even say, well, well we think we know better than God does. We, we think we read the times and we know what's better. God's just out of date. But when Isaiah wrote to God's people, in Isaiah chapter 5, he, he laid out just a, a, a phenomenal thing that, that says, here's areas you need to be praying about in your church because he's talking to the people of God here. Not talking to America. He's talking to God's people. In his case, to Israel. But God's people today, there's applications. That, Woe to those who join house to house, who add field to field until there's no more room. And you're made to dwell alone in the midst of the land. In other words, woe to those who are so caught up in materialism that they don't think about pursuing God. They just pursue stuff. Woe to those who rise early in the morning, that they may run after strong drink, who tarry late in the evening as wine inflames them. They have lyre and harp, tambourine and flute, and wine at their feast, but they do not regard the deeds of the Lord for, or, or see the works of his hands. Drunkenness. Anything that fills our life, it can be entertainment as much as it can alcohol, as much as it can be drugs. 
That's what I got to have. It's kind of what I got to want. They, they pursue after that rather than pursuing after God. How true is that within our church? Church is. So because of that, my people go into exile because they lack knowledge, knowledge of me, knowledge of my word, knowledge of my truth. Then he says, woe to those who draw iniquity with the cords of falsehood, who draw sin as with cart ropes, who say, let him be quick and let him make his speed that we may see it, and let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw near and let it come that we may know it. It's a vivid word picture there. It says, here's what they've done. Even within the body, they've, they've got this cart that has sin on it, and they've got the rope behind them, and they're pulling it along. They're, they're dragging it along behind them so that so they can say, Here, here's what we're going to revel in. Here's what we're going to enjoy. And, and you know what? Let God show us that it's wrong. If God, God, if you're against this, just come on down and destroy it right now. They're mocking God in the midst of doing that. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Total relativism, total reversal of God's plan. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and valiant men and mixing strong drink, who acquit the guilty for a bribe and deprive the innocent of right. Five woes that Isaiah says will become present in Christ's church among Christ's people, among God's people, when we don't pursue Him in prayer. When we don't take seriously His Word. When we flippantly say, well, you know, the Holy Spirit's going to pray on my behalf. I'll go do whatever I want to do. No. God says you have to pursue it. The Word says you have to search for me and seek for me, desire me. Now, we know that no man desires him apart from the work of his Holy Spirit. But once the Holy Spirit is there, there ought, for God's people, there ought to be a desire for him, a passion for him, a hunger for him, a thirst for him that cannot be quenched by anything else in this world. Anything. You say, Bill, I, I, I do pray, but... Man, things still are hard. Sometimes I wonder if the Holy Spirit's really interceding for me because I'm, I'm struggling. There's a stink bug here on the pulpit. That's the devil. I'm still hurting. I'm, I'm still struggling in this life. I... I don't understand why God lets me go through what I'm going through. Let me turn you to another John in closing. John Newton. You know John Newton by his hymn, Amazing Grace. It's out there on our wall. You come in the foyer. He wrote another hymn. I won't sing it for you. I'll just read it to you. It's called, it's titled, I Asked the Lord. We don't sing that all. We ought to sing it. Pass that on to Jeff. 
I ask the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace, might more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his face. Twas he who taught me thus to pray, and he, I trust, has answered prayer, but it has been in such a way as almost drove me to despair. I hope that in some favored hour, at once he'd answer my request and by his love's constraining power, subdue my sins and give me rest. Instead of this, he made me feel the hidden sins, the, the hidden evils of my heart and let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. Yea, more with his own hand he seemed intent to aggravate my woe. Crossed all the fair designs I schemed. Cast out my feelings. He laid me low. Lord, why is this, I trembling cried? Will you pursue your worm to death? Tis this way, the Lord replied. I answer prayer for grace and faith. These inward trials I employ from self and pride to set you free. And break thy schemes, break your schemes of earthly joy that you may now that you may seek your all in me. That you may seek your all in me. Prayer is hard. Prayer is warfare. But prayer is coming by faith through Christ to his throne of grace is thrown above. Pray with me. As you pray, we're actually going to sing about before the throne of God above. I have a strong and earnest plea and my plea is because of the righteousness and the goodness and the grace of Christ. I come in Him with the help of His Holy Spirit. Father, teach us to pray even as Bunyan defines it from your word. Teach us to come before you, pouring our hearts out and our souls out and crying out to you in accordance with your word, your word open before us, and in accordance with your will that you have revealed therein. Father, we are aliens, we are strangers. Our citizenship is not here. It's in heaven. We know that. But Lord, while we're here, let us walk with you. While we're here, 
Father, let us pour our hearts out to you. Father, I pray for men and women here this morning that do not know you. Even religious people who are playing games with you, Lord. I pray your Holy Spirit would break their hearts. I pray for those who know that they don't know you. I pray, Lord, your Holy Spirit will open their eyes to see their need for a Savior. Open their hearts to believe and know that Christ is the only Savior. Father, I pray for others who need to just do business with you where they sit and where they'll stand in a moment. Because though they believe they have they believe the world more than they believe you. Draw them back to you. Revive them according to your word, as David said. Thank you, Father. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we stand together and sing together before the throne of God above, as God leads in your life, you be obedient to him. Where you stand? You need to come, you come. Let's stand and sing.